to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Marshall University professor Dr. Robin McCutcheon joins us again, and I'm glad she's back. It's one heck of a discussion here. We talk a lot about the economic state of affairs, both locally, nationally, and globally. And then we talk a lot about the medical collapse, of course, that's taking place and has been taking place, of course, for quite some time. During our discussion toward the end, I mention a particular video that involved a great deal of medical doctors talking about what the jabbed can do in an attempt to stay healthy. One of the things that they say in this video, which I am linking in the description below, and I highly recommend that you check it out, is they do say that there's no cure for these jabs. But there are a number of different things that can be done to help alleviate some of the symptoms and maybe keep some things at bay. So we discussed that briefly toward the end of this particular episode, but again, I'm linking that in the description below, and I highly recommend that you check it out. It's about three hours long, but trust me, it's worth it. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, give this discussion a listen, and I will catch you on Monday. Take care. Let's start with the obvious, the uh, student loan forgiveness. It's, it's my opinion, I'll start it out that way, it's my opinion that this is a desperation move on the Democrat side to buy votes from young people. Um, well, we know that only about 37% of the adult population has a any kind of a higher education degree, and it's a much smaller percentage of the adult population that has a graduate degree, and it's the graduate degrees that carry the most student debt. So. You know, the poor plumbers and electricians that all they have is a journeyman's card are going to be paying for these graduate students with graduate degrees in sociology or whatever to um, help pay off their student debt. I, I think it's monstrous. So, and then let's talk about the economic effects. So you're taking more money from hardworking Americans, which means they'll have less money to spend elsewhere, and you're giving that money so to speak, to Americans who went to university. And and where is the government going to get this money? It's not like the government has a money tree out behind the White House where they go out and they pick off the money, you know, harvest the money. So they either get it from taxes from us or they print it. And um, so... If they go print it, then that means that the value of our money drops even more. It becomes worth less because the more money you print, the more inflation goes up, the fewer goods and services that you can buy with the remaining dollars in your wallet. So, I mean, this is, it's a bad move all the way around, in my opinion. And, and it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's a fully calculated move done in order to attract votes in the midterm elections. But I might be jaded. I, I might be a little biased in my in my viewpoint. Well, I, you know, I, I think you're right, without a doubt. That is, uh, I, I think that that's an angle. Unfortunately, I don't think that the working individual, of course, is, is thinking about this logically, let alone the universities themselves. You know, you have... Universities raising tuition, and um, you can attest to this, and probably not giving professors pay raises. So 
it's actually the professors themselves and the employees of the institutions that are really paying this back. Right. Well, for state-funded universities, think about this. Marshall is a state-funded university, and so the money that comes from the state is gathered from the tax collectors, right? So the people of the state essentially are paying state-funded university professor salaries and, and everybody who works there. So West Virginia will be gathering in more tax money, impoverishing their own population more to pay off the student debt. I mean, it, it makes no logical sense to me. Yeah. It's a, it's a willful transfer of money from the hardworking Americans to people who, in, in my opinion, don't, don't, haven't earned it. They haven't deserved it. Um, how many of us have paid off our student loans? We did it the old-fashioned way. We worked a couple jobs, and we paid off our student loans, and now we have to pay for those people who are, they're, they're can I call, I, I, I don't even want to call them a name. Anyway, it's, it's insane. This is, this is a crap economic policy. There, there's some, there's some prickly words for you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Do you know the exact percentage that's being paid off? I I have heard two amounts. The it's somewhere between ten thousand and twenty thousand dollars for people who are earning under a hundred and twenty thousand a year. So so for those people who have a student debt who are earning a hundred and twenty thousand dollars or less per year, they'll get some amount of money between ten and twenty thousand dollars forgiven off their student loan debt. So even if they're working, their taxes are going up to pay off their student debt. Right. I, that's it's any way I flip this pancake, the, it just looks more and more ridiculous. It looks more and more like a ploy to bamboozle voters into voting for a regime that is communist at its core. You know, that here these poor people are going to be complaining miserably and bitterly about the high prices of gases and gas and per gallon and how they have less money in their wallet when they've voted for that particular policy. It's, it's extremely short-sighted on their part. Um, but on the other hand, uh, what an opportunity to wake people up to how gross and distorted uh, communist policies coming out of the Democrat left or the rhino left are. I, I, you know, there's a silver lining in this. Um, there are a lot of people who are being hit in the face by inflation, high gas prices, high food prices, rents going up, interest rates going up, um, that are, are, are now waking up to what the heck is going on here? And so what a great opportunity for those of us who are already awake and aware to say, well, you know, this is this is the kind of policy you get when you vote for a communist. I'm glad you mentioned the loan stuff, too, because I had this particular article I wanted to toss your way. Uh, it comes from shiftgold.com. And it, I don't know if you've seen this or not or heard about any of this. I'm, I'm sure you have. But it's titled Tanking Housing Market. 
already putting mortgage companies out of business. This is just from the other day. It says the tanking housing market is starting to put a strain on the mortgage industry with some lenders already going out of business. Analysts project the wave of failures coming down the pike could be worse since the housing bubble burst and triggered the Great Recession. It says uh, home sales plunged again in July, falling 5.9% month on month. And it was the sixth straight month of monthly declines. It says year-on-year home sales have plunged 20%, according to the National Association of Realtors. And they say that we are now in a housing recession. Well, I'm not not surprised. Um, I did not see that particular article, but those percentages ring true to me. I've seen them in other places in my own research. So... Yeah, and, you know, one of the great lessons out of 1929 was that when the housing market stumbles and goes under, it precipitates a deep depression. Uh, Witness what we saw from 2007 when the housing, actually housing started cratering in 2006. Housing always precedes um, depression-like, not recession, depression-like economic conditions. So... Not surprising to me. Um, this it, It's kind of a hold on to your knickers moment. It's a tough situation, and for and for people who have who have seen this once or twice before, it it also once again it presents an opportunity to buy for pennies on the dollar something that you didn't want to pay a maximum price for anyway. So, you know, as housing goes, when the housing market stumbles or collapses, that precipitates a ripple effect throughout the economy because if houses aren't selling, people aren't out there buying uh, accessories for their homes, washers, dryers, refrigerators, stoves, window treatments, carpet. They're not buying furniture because they haven't bought the house. And as the housing market stumbles and falls, then... um, the tax revenues that are collected for property taxes aren't collected. You know, that's that's a knock-on effect, which means that all those items in the state that the property taxes support won't get the money. So, you know, it's, it's a long-going ripple effect, and it can roll out for several years before things start correcting themselves. Because, as economists say, the solution for high prices is high prices themselves. And the demand destruction that we're going to be seeing coming, you know, going forward into the future, six months and a year is going to be astounding. So not surprising. I've, I've heard those numbers. Um, I just sort of nodded to myself and went, "Uh uh-huh. Yep. Not surprised. And I heard that the federal reserve raised their key interest rate again, another 75 basis points, which is three quarters of 1%. And so when the Fed raises their interest rates, that means that the price of borrowing money goes up across the board. You know, the interest that you pay on a car loan or a house loan, that goes up. Um, The interest that you pay on student debts, that goes up. And I think most of those federal student debts are adjustable rate mortgages, aren't they? That's what a student told me yesterday. So those rates will go up. It's a... It's an insidious network of 
knock-on effects and ripple effects throughout the economy, and no one will be safe. No one. And that, of course, forces individuals, in particular younger individuals and even older individuals, I think, to just end up renting instead of buying. And if you're a renter and you own rental property, wouldn't you just raise your rental prices? Of course you would. Yeah. Of course you would. But don't worry, student loan forgiveness. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Amazing. You know, it, it really is the best time ever to be alive. This is truly, this is truly a magical time for those of us who are awake and aware because we can, we, we maybe have the luxury to sit back a little bit and look around and go, wow, that's incredible what these numbnuts are doing. I mean, it's, it's, it's like throwing, it's like throwing pearls before swine, if I can borrow a phrase. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's, and, and for those of us who have prepared, you know, um, again, it it allows an opportunity that you wouldn't have otherwise had um, were these prices still jacked up to the rooftops. It presents to me a, a blindingly clear uh, teaching moment. What What's that expression? It's a teachable moment? Sure. A teachable moment for me to illustrate to my students just how bad economic policy out of Washington has been since the since Joe Biden has been inaugurated. Every single policy that he's implemented is designed to crater and destroy the American economy. I, I, I am not of the opinion that it's an accident. This is on purpose. This is, and we've talked about this before. So, you know, if you want to if you want to bring America to her knees, how would you do it exactly the way they've done it? What do you think other economy professors or economics professors, rather, are saying to their students regarding all of this? How, how are they, if they lean left, how are they possibly covering this up? Truthfully, I think they're clueless. I think that most of, most economic professors have their heads buried so far into the ivory tower that they barely look outside the window to see what's going on. It, you don't think they I even, mean, I, they don't even teach current events like the current things that are actually happening? Well, that's what my students are telling me. My older students who are still taking other economic classes you know, the, the professors are not talking about what's going on in the outside world. They're focused on what, what their textbook is teaching, which I think is less than helpful. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for example, I, I had a finance professor back in May say to me in response to my, my um statement that the U.S. dollar is going to collapse. He said, but the U.S. dollar is strong. And I, and I looked at him and I said, well, let's just say it's the least ugly girl at an ugly girl dance. <laughs> you know? And he just gave me this look like he couldn't understand it. He's a finance professor. He yeah. says, but, but the dollar is strong. I said, okay, fine, but not for long. You know, people in other countries may be buying the U.S. dollar because they're they're fleeing to what they think is a safe haven. 
because their own country's currency is so fiat it's worthless, but ours is just as fiat and just as worthless as their currency is. It's just that when everybody flees to the U.S. dollar, it, it gives the illusion of strength where there is none. And so remember we talked about, oh, some sometime a little ways back, we talked about when uh, President Putin in Russia backed a ruble with gold. 5,000 rubles was a gram of gold. Yeah. And and he, he told all of his people at the end of February and into March, go out and buy gold and silver. There's no tax. Everyone buy gold and silver. We're backing the ruble with gold. And he did that. Well, that immediately makes the ruble the strongest currency in the world. Even if, even if I can buy a hundred of them with a U.S. dollar. See, I should have gone out and bought rubles in or mid-February when I saw this coming because I could have made some money, but I didn't do it. So, you know, when other countries begin backing their currency by some assets, so, for example, um, South Africa is, um, is also very, very seriously considering backing their currency, not with gold, but with diamonds. Zimbabwe is already minting gold and silver coins to use as currency in their country. They're just minting the coins. They're not even playing with the paper money. Wow. Saudi Arabia is contemplating very, very seriously backing their currency, which I think is called the real, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but they're, they're thinking seriously about backing their currency, not with gold or diamonds, but with oil. So these will be asset-backed currencies. Um, these countries are, are telling the United States, we are done selling our assets to you, our gold, our silver, our oil, or whatever else, whatever other goods that we're making. We're done selling them to you and receiving worthless paper in return. We want value for value. And so across the world, countries are glomming onto this. They're leaving the Western Central Bank system. In fact, Putin came out the other day and he said that that he and um, he and the Russians have removed the Rothschild Central Bank from Russia and no longer will Russian Russians be shackled with the chains of banking slavery. Something along those lines. Hmm. So this is this is a revolution what's going on in the banking industry and it will ripple out into the economy into the worldwide economy and to other foreign countries economies now funny um, the European Union the, the British Central Bank the United States Canada Australia New Zealand none of those uh, None of those countries are interested in removing their fiat currency. And so we, we're, we are at the point where we have more than half of the world's population that will be using a, an asset-backed currency in their own country. And how soon will it be before those countries demand that the United States have an asset-backed currency as well? How soon? Point. Russia's already done it to the to the uh, European Union. Russia did it to 
um, to Germany back in the spring when they said to the Germans, we're going to cut off the oil that we send to you unless you pay for your oil in gold, silver, or gold back rubles. And so Germany tried to pay for their oil in uh, euro, and Russia said, nope, we're not taking it. It's worthless. And they shut off the oil. They shut off the gas. <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah. he who has the gold rules. There you go. So you think that's where we're headed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, in, let's see, what date was it? It was in, it was just this year, March 9th, 2022, Executive Order 14067. So Executive Order 14067, March 9th, 2022, titled Ensuring Responsible Development of Digital Assets. And then you go down and you read Section 4. Scrolling down, it's a policy and actions related to United States central bank digital currencies, CBDC. And what this executive order purports to do is to order the U.S. Fed, not the U.S. Federal Reserve, to order the Federal Reserve Bank to create a central bank digital currency that everyone will use so that all of our currency is digitized. You won't have any cash. Well, remind me what happened to the truckers in Ottawa when they were protesting their own government. Didn't their own government's bankers turn off their money? They yep. seized their assets. They said, no, you can't get at your money. So this is, an this is another way to manipulate and control people. Personally, I don't think this is going to work. I think there are enough people in the United States that will throw a middle finger in the air towards Washington and say, screw you, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. They'll take their money out of the bank, so what's left of the banking system will collapse even faster. This, this will sound remarkably naive, but if the dollar at some point becomes backed by gold and silver, in the United States, of course, what, what occurs to the cost of gold and silver for people who have it as a hard asset? Well, if if the dollar becomes backed, let's just stick with gold for a minute. If the dollar becomes backed with gold, the price of gold is going to skyrocket, right? Because it's a supply and demand issue. The supply of gold is fixed. So if you're looking at a supply and demand graph, that supply curve is vertical. And as the demand goes up, it just pushes the, it pushes the price up. So the price of gold per ounce will adjust up. If people go out onto CNBC.com, which is a place that I visit nearly every day, and up, at, up towards the top of the screen, there's a bar where you can look at prices for gold and silver and oil and such. And if you click on gold, you'll see right now as we're talking, the price of gold in paper contracts is $1,769.60 an ounce. But that price is manipulated. We already know that that price is too low. It does not reflect the true, the true price of gold. If you go, okay, so now that you've looked at um, the, the paper price of gold, if you go to, let me pick up a, a bullion company. How about JM Bullion? Students tell me that that's a good place to go. If you go to JM Bullion, you'll find 
that um, their price of a gold coin. I'm going to gold coins. Yeah, they also have a downloadable yeah. app. That's the one that I use. Yeah. So if you look at American gold eagles and a, uh, an American gold eagle right now. Oh, man, I got to scroll way down so I can get past the one-tenth ounces. Man, I'm scrolling and scrolling. I can't find a whole ounce. There we go. Uh, a one-ounce American gold eagle from a random year is $1,934.49 an ounce. So that's $200, roughly, over the paper price of an ounce of gold. So when the U.S. dollar becomes backed by gold, the price of gold will necessarily rise because the supply of gold is fixed. And when, whenever a commodity is fixed, there's, there's, there's just a certain amount, there is no more, then the demand for that that commodity pushes the price up. The demand curve will move out and to the right and the price rises. So this is going to happen. The, eventually, the U.S. dollar will be, it will not be a Federal Reserve note. I think the Federal Reserve Bank is on its last legs. Um, it's not a federal agency. It's run by private bankers. And so I think this is the last gasp of a Western central banking system where a few elites own the banks and dictate the monetary policy of a, of a country. So um, we're, we're very quickly coming to the end of a Federal Reserve note, which we call the U.S. dollar, and eventually US do the, the Federal Reserve note will be recognized as worthless paper not worth a cotton it's printed on, and and we will gravitate back to an asset-backed currency. And the central bank digital currency is one of the last moves that the Western central bankers think they have up their sleeves to force Americans or Canadians or Britons or Europeans into a in into a type of banking system where the bankers have all the control over the citizens so i mean it's exciting times it's cool yeah do, do you think that the european union in europe is going to be the last one to ultimately have to change their currency no i i think they're going to collapse pretty fast i i think that um germany for instance is already telling their citizens uh but don't take any showers. They, they went from hot showers to cold showers, and now they're telling their citizens, just take a sponge bath. <laughs> there you go. Because, right? So, you know, here we are. We're sitting um, August 25th. It starts getting cold in Europe in another six or eight weeks. What are they going to do if they're not willing to pay Russia in gold or silver for their oil? Russia's going to cut them off and go, Puh. Too bad for you. So, you know, in January this year, Germany shut down the last three of its nuclear plants because nuclear wasn't green enough, and now they've started them back up again. Go figure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is a very harsh lesson, but I think it's one that necessarily needs to be learned. Each country needs to be independent. And I think the European Union is going to break apart. Um, 
the president of France, Emmanuel Macron, just came on within the last 24 hours to tell the French citizens the era of prosperity is over and now we need to learn to live in an era of scarcity. Yep, you'll own nothing and like it. You'll, you'll own nothing and like it, that's right. Gee, where have I heard that before? Right. So I, I think this is a very harsh lesson for a lot of people, and um, but I think it's necessary to go through so that so that we as humans in our communities, whether they're local or state or federal, that we as humans can figure out that it is a disaster to give power over us to a small group of people that have no interest in our in our well-being. The only interest these people have is these people who run the elite banks around the world, the central banks, the only interest those people have is having power and control over as many slaves as they can get. And the central bank digital currency is the next step in creating citizen slaves across the country. Because if you're if your bank tells you, nope, we're not we're not issuing any money, here's here's this debit card, and oh, by the way, if you don't spend your money on what the government says you can spend your money on, then we're going to cut your money off. Well, it's so easy to go from that step to, you know, McCutcheon, you're 25 pounds overweight. You need to lose some weight, so you can't buy that bag of chips today. You can't buy a case of beer. You can't buy a tub of ice cream. And I'm serious. That's that's what they want to do. They want that kind of power and control. And that's not that's not communism. That's straight up totalitarianism. That's straight up slavery. And that's that's the direction we're all headed. Very quickly now. It's going fast. It's going to be interesting, and I mean, that brings into question, of course, the way that a lot of these stores, grocery stores in particular, are operating by doing away with less and, you know, doing away with people, basically, human employees, and moving mm-hmm. to more um, self-checkouts and, and robotic ways of, of telling people what an item costs and how they have to pay for it. That's the scheme playing out right in front of everyone's face. When I worked at Myers, because we lived in Michigan, I was a cashier at Myers way, way, way back 30 plus years ago. They already knew that they were going to put in cashierless checkout lanes where the people themselves would scan and bag their own groceries. And they were going to do that because humans are expensive to employ. You know, not only do you have to pay them a wage, but you might have to uh, pay them benefits. And those pesky humans don't always work efficiently. You know, sometimes they take six days. Sometimes they want to go on vacation. You know, sometimes they just don't even work productively when they are at work. And so this was Meyer Corporation's way of getting around hiring more humans. So this is not a this is not a brand new thing. This has been this has been slipping up on us and Myers didn't invent this. They took it from the auto industry, which knew 
way back in the 19, late 1960s that they were going to fully automate the assembly, the, the manufacture and assembly of automobiles because humans are expensive to employ and machines aren't. You buy a machine, it's a fixed cost. Yeah, you might have to maintain it here and there, but it's not nearly as expensive as, as employing a human. And so, you know, this um, automated everything where machines do all the work, what, how, how do humans earn their keep? How do humans earn their income if, they're, if, if all the jobs that they are looking at are, are, are populated by machines? And, and that leads to that statement that uh, Klaus Schwab says, where, and his little pipsqueak, uh, Yuval Noah Harari says, we just don't need all you humans. You're really a nuisance to us. We're just going to figure out a way of getting rid of 95% of the humans, and those that are left will be our little slaves. They will own nothing, and they will be happy. And if you don't believe me, go and check out Naval, Yuval Noah Harari, H-A-R-A-R-I, and see what he's been talking about over the last couple of years. You think that this pandemic and these vaccines were an accident? Yeah. No, it's on purpose. So, you know, there's, I, and I'm, I really don't mean to sound like a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist, but when it's right in front of your face, when Klaus Schwab writes a book called COVID-19, The Great Reset in 2019 and, and publishes his words, we're going to find a way to get rid of 95% of humans, then I think I should probably take him seriously. Don't you? Yeah. Pattern recognition. Yeah. Yep. There you go. So, so I'm, I'm from the 30,000 foot level, I'm looking at all of this stuff going on and I'm kind of nodding my head going, yeah, if I wanted to take over the world, that's what I would do too. I'd create a, mass panic over a virus that's basically a flu. I'd, I'd involve the media in my conspiracy and pay them lots of money to just only talk about how bad this virus is. Um, I would make sure that the administration that I want gets in <clears throat> by, by manipulating voting machines or having ballot boxes stuff, but I would make sure that my guy got in, and then I'd lock the whole place down, and I'd keep it locked down. And then, then, you know, somebody's going to scream for a vaccine. So, okay, fine. How do you think they got 2 billion vials of vaccines ready in six weeks? They, they've had those on deck for years it, and years. This, this has been a plan for years and years. And if your audience doesn't believe it, they can go look up um, Project Lockstep, which was put out by Johns Hopkins University about what to do in a pandemic situation and how could the elites use it to their advantage to gain more control. Fox News spent two years telling us, um, uh, pushing the, the COVID-19 vaccines, or almost two years, and all of a sudden, just this week, they've flipped on a dime and now 
Um, Sean Hannity's out there saying, well, I never told anybody to take this vaccine. Well, there's plenty of roll tape with him on it in 2021 saying you got to get this vaccine. Is that what he's telling people now? Yeah, yeah. They're trying to make it like it never happened. Like they never told their audience you got to get this vaccine. Unbelievable. I mean... Um, if your people, if your people will go into, let's see, go into Rumble and type in Joe Rogan talks with Majid Nawaz, and Majid's name is spelled M as in mother, A-A-J-I-D, and his last name is Nawaz, N-A-W-A-Z, that's Nancy, Albert, Wall, Walter, Albert, whatever, Zebra, N-A-W-A-Z. It's episode 1780. Joe Rogan interviews um, Majid for a couple of hours, three hours, wherein they talk about how the central bank digital currency is going to be used to have power and control over people and to manipulate people into doing what the small little number of elite want them to do. It's also It also walks hand in hand with that uh, ESG social credit score system that China has. Right. You know? So, um, I mean, the information is out there. I'm, maybe I still have my tinfoil hat on, but, you know, when people start telling me the things or they, they're, they're spreading it out there, out in the internet, what they want to do to manipulate people with power and control, I tend to perk up my ears and pay attention. Because that's, that's not necessarily the way that I want my life to go. Let, let me ask you about this, too, because it, this plays right into it also. Of course, the, the global takeover, so to speak, and then, of course, the economic impact as well. You know, you have these car companies now that are saying that they're moving toward electric vehicles only in the future. And now California has said that by 2035, no gas vehicles are going to be sold. That they're all going to be electric, electric powered. Apparently, how on earth can uh-huh. they get? How can they get away with something like that? And even again, from a social sciences standpoint, how on earth would the American public allow that to happen? That's a good question. I can't imagine the American public allowing that. Number one, I mean, they would just say no, and then they would do what? Keep? I mean. You run that timeline all the way to its logical conclusion. You've got everybody then not buying electric cars because they can't afford them. Regardless of how cheap they make them, people don't want them. So they, they drive the current cars that they have until what? The wheels fall off and the engine explodes. You know, well over 200,000 miles, whatever it may be. Right. And then what? Or they move out of California. Right. I mean, California's lost more population, I think, than New York has. Um, but if the car companies what, are doing people? it everywhere. Right, but... It's just that California's this, this decided is, to make it a state law, apparently. Right. I don't know how the, the Californians are going to stop this madness. But I do know that there's a, a, a group of about 55 counties in California that are, they're 
I'll say it in the Texas terms, they're fixing to get ready to separate themselves from California and create a 51st state using the same um, playbook and plan that Virginia did when West Virginia split off from it. So, you know, they're, the Californians have had it. They, they can't vote this guy out because the voting machines that they're using are corruptible. The voting records are already corrupt, you know, so they, they can't vote this guy out. So all they can, all the only, the only avenue left for them is to separate themselves from their state. Um, so, I mean, people can go and look at, um, Oh, what is that, guys? It's Paul Preston, I think, is the guy that's uh, one of the leaders of the New California movement. Yeah. I think it's Paul Preston. And, um, you know, that's that's the only avenue that the Californians could see is just to separate themselves from, from old California and just create a new state. That seemed like something that was promising a while back, because I remember hearing him a lot talk about it. Uh, mm -hmm. given the fact that the majority of the counties in California are red. Right. And probably yeah, the fact um, that Donald Trump won California. But even so, right. um, constitutionally speaking, I haven't heard anything, I haven't heard anything since. And I've even yeah. again heard him recently, and I don't know, it just doesn't sound like he's talking about it that much. Well, it could be my... First of all, I don't think we're going to hear it on the mainstream media. Right. And second, if I was that group, I'd I'd run silent, run deep on that, and just you know, all of a sudden there it is. Just have just have done with it. Um, I wouldn't give my opponents any opportunity to stop me. I, we don't really. I don't know. I don't know if you know, but I don't know what's going on out in California. I don't really have any uh, friends out there that can tell me about it. But I do know that the best way of getting people off their butts is to shove into their face a whole bunch of communism and say, okay, now what are you going to do about it? Um, I know that another thing that's going on nationwide is the sheriff's associations are now getting together under Sheriff Mack and they've created their own um, not 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 political action committee, but they're create they're rediscovering their roots of being a sheriff, mm -hmm. which is they're the last stand between us and the and the hordes in in Washington or at the state or the county level to to help keep us free. And I would it would not surprise me at all to find out that these sheriffs are finally going to go arrest county clerks for fraudulent elections or state or county um, officers for supporting fraudulent elections. I mean, there's so much there's so much stuff going on out there in our country that it's hard to keep track what's going on. Does that make sense? <laughs> sure. Yeah, and I've brought it up on my show before that a uh, an acquaintance of mine and I tried to get the local sheriff involved, and you've probably seen him on Fox News. It's Richard Jones. 
but we tried to get his office involved regarding the shots. Right. And, and educating their deputies about what these shots are. And then, of course, going after the, uh, the county health department because they're ultimately the countywide shot pushers, so to speak. And right. uh, they passed the buck. And they basically passed it right back to us, and they said, "Take it to a take it to the county prosecutor uh, yourself and see what they say." And we did. Uh-huh. And, the, and the county prosecutor that I talked to over the phone was double jabbed and sick at home. Well, so poor guy. <laughs> yeah, and I, guess, and I, I bet he. I bet he said. I bet he said it's a good thing I've been jabbed because otherwise it would be worse. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know that? Oh man! I've How did heard you it know lot. that? There was also one other okay. line. There was one other beautiful line he dropped, Robin, and he said, uh, "But uh, I said so. <laughs> I said so. The jabs don't work, do they?" And he goes, "Nope, no, I guess they don't." He said, "But uh, <laughs> he said, but at least I didn't get that third one, and I'm I'm not going to get that third one." And I was like, well, well, you know, good for you, buddy." Well, thank God, common sense kicked in. Yeah. See, um, see, this was a dis- yeah, I, this was a direct discussion that that we had, uh, you know, that, that I had with the neighbors just yesterday, and they were asking, you know, how are things going locally, globally, the whole thing, and I said mm-hmm. it all boils down to being able to educate the people that are in the positions who should have been doing their job this entire time and weren't. Well, or for example. Perhaps they were selected um, by someone like I don't know George Soros, correct, to be in a position where they could make the decision to go in a totalitarian direction. One of the things that perplexed me some years back, and I I can't remember exactly the year that I saw it, but it was a little blip on Fox News where. It was just a little statement about how George Soros was funding um, uh, secretaries of state to be elected. And I thought, oh, that can't be good. Well, it turns out it's not good when you've got these little dictators who are the secretaries of state who are in charge of elections. And they're allowing fraudulent, fraudulent elections and voter fraud to occur because they can stay in power that way. And um, I I think that it's going to be self-evident pretty fast that um, a lot of these people, there there are even sheriffs that were funded by George Soros. So I think, if I remember properly, the sheriff of Maricopa County, Arizona, was funded by George Soros. So I don't know if your guy, if your sheriff was funded by him either. Wouldn't surprise me, given his attitude. He claims to be a... uh... Yeah, I mean, the sheriff claims to be a conservative, and again, he's on Fox News a lot, but uh, as far as the prosecutors go, I, again, I think the majority of them are conservative, but that doesn't mean anything. So, no, not anymore. Right. Not anymore. Um, the, the thing is, is that we're far enough down this chute of the... COVID vaccinations being revealed to the general public as as being poison, or some of them being poison, that um, now lawsuits, class action lawsuits have been, begun 
not just rearing their ugly heads, but actually being won by people who were either forced to get the vaccination or fired because they wouldn't get the vaccination. Um, Blue Cross Blue Shield just lost, uh, they just got sued in a class action lawsuit by um, something like 500 plus of their employees because Blue Cross Blue Shield, this is in Tennessee, mandated this experimental COVID vaccine. And so the, the employees are suing the company. Um, there was a hospital, I think in Illinois, a university hospital that also mandated the COVID-19 vaccination and they were sued and they just settled a lawsuit. So they're paying out $10 million plus dollars to the, to this, uh, the group who class action lawsuited them. Tom Rents, who's up in, gosh, I don't remember where he is here in Ohio, but, um, you know, he's, he's suing everybody under the sun. Um, and, and, uh, and he's got the receipts and the data to go along with it. So I think that, I think that what's going to happen is there's going to be some intense lawsuit, class action lawsuit action that's going to occur that um, companies are going to lose. Now, interestingly, um, just a week or so ago, the Society of Actuaries um, put out a report. I'm pulling it up on my computer. They put out a report. They put out a, a quarterly report, and this report goes up to quarter one of 2022. And the Society of Actuaries, actuaries are people who work with insurance companies to determine the probability of mortality. Um, and actuaries use what we call mortality tables. It is a long-term, 100 years plus, sometimes 130 years plus, of data on when people die and for what cause. So they, so they have a hundred years worth of information of what is the probability that you or I will live one more year based on our age, our, our weight, what kind of occupation we have and so forth. And they, they, they're, they have to be accurate because these insurance companies collect enough money so that they can pay out death benefits or long-term care um, benefits to, to um, people who have their, contracts. So the Society of Actuaries has finally figured out that something dire is happening. And um, and if you pull up this report and you look at table 5.7, where it's excess mortality detailed by age, you find that in quarter three, 2021, for people between the ages of 25 and call it 64, the excess death is more than a hundred percent in some in some cases like ages 25 to 34 the excess death rate was 178 percent excess death rates for ages 35 to 44 was 200 percent now these kind of figures don't even occur in a natural pandemic these these kind of figures a natural pandemic will have about an, a 10 percent excess mortality death rate so these figures are just blowing everything out of the water. And the actuaries in this report said it's, I'm going to paraphrase, it's interesting that all of these deaths for all causes are happening six to eight months after 
the COVID-19 vaccinations rolled out. Now, what happens when these insurance companies turn around and sue the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, Big Pharma, and everyone else who pushed these COVID-19 vaccinations onto their employees or their employees' families because they were lied to? Do you think they'll do that? Yes, I do. I think um, this this report came out in August, and, and it ends March the end of March. So let's go three more months forward, September, October, November. So at the end of November, they'll come out with another one that goes up to the end of quarter two, 2022, which will be the end of June, halfway through the year. And, um, and these numbers are not subsiding very much. That's when they're going to, that's when they're going to be able to go back and pinpoint, well, the booster was rolled out in September and then booster number four was rolled out in, you know, on X date. They'll be able to track this and they'll be able to say with a large amount of certainty, this amount of excess deaths is caused by the, the COVID-19 vaccinations. And they'll start going back into the death reports and they'll start, they'll start figuring out who got, who got jabbed and who didn't. And, um, and when I was reading um, it wasn't One America Insurance's uh, CEO um, interview. It was an interview that happened in February of 2022. There was another insurance company that came out and said, we're seeing all these excess deaths, and and um, it won't be too long before when you fill out an application for insurance, for death insurance, that in the application it will ask you, did you get the COVID-19 vaccination? Which one? When did you get it? And I wouldn't be surprised if these insurance companies say, no, we're not going to cover you. See, I bet they already know. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they do. Yeah. But actuaries, actuaries as, a, as a statistical body tend to be a little risk-averse, cautious. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so it's going to happen. These, these, there's, it's going to be lawfare all over the place. And, um, and I don't expect the big pharma to survive. There will be a lot of companies that don't survive because they push these jabs on people and they shouldn't have. In fact, didn't, didn't Politico just come out yesterday and say the FDA is trying to say it was president Trump's fault. Well, president Trump never, never mandated the COVID-19 vaccines. He said, make your own choice. This is what we've got. Oh, and by the way, in um, March of 2020, didn't President Trump came up, come out and say, hey, look, there's, there's other alternatives. I mean, you could take hydroxychloroquine, you could take ivermectin, and what did the mainstream media do? They shut him down so fast it made my head spin. Yep. So the reason those two items, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, were shut down by the FDA as a as a an alternative to the uh, Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca vaccines was because you can't have an EUA, experimental use authorization vaccine, if there's an alternative to it. So they had to shut those down and say, no, you can't use those. You know, so it's, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be kind of fun to watch, you know, sad sort of way. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And then 
when people discovered that the hospitals were incentivized by the CARES Act, I mean, I found the pages. I think I read them to you in one of our interviews. Yeah. The, the hospitals were incentivized to kill people, literally murder them, and call it COVID-19. So they rolled out remdesivir, yeah. which one of my doctor friends says the nurses call it run death is near because it shuts down the kidneys. The hospitals now, too, are treating their own employees. Yeah. Yeah, because the hospitals mandated these jabs, too. Right. I mean, I, th- I think I've said it before, and I it's not my quote, but I picked it up from somebody much smarter than me. This We're entering the period of the longest, saddest, most excruciatingly painful, I told you so, in the history of man. Yep. You know, um, so, and, and, and every single family in the world will be touched by this somehow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, and unless your audience thinks that I don't have any, any skin in the game, when, when the boosters, when, when the COVID-19 vaccines first came out or were first um, allowed to circulate through the population, um, I, I, you know, took my reputation in hand and emailed all my family and said, please don't get this, please don't get this vaccination. I was not treated very kindly. Only one person in my family listened to me and didn't get the vaccination. Only one person. And, um, and then when the boosters came out, I, I, I ran that same email past everybody, said, please don't get this booster. Well, no, I was crazy, tinfoil hat, conspiracy theorist, and and now I'm hearing reports that um, some of my family are in, in fragile health. So, you know, every single family in the United States is going to be touched by this. And when people find out that their parents or their children or their cousins or aunts and uncles, grandparents were um, experimented on without consent, there's going to be a hue and cry for a Nuremberg 2.0 like you've never seen. Um, Dr. Fauci thinks he can run away and retire. There's no place on this earth that man can run that he won't be found. And and he's one of the people I think that's going to, he's going to pay the ultimate price for being the Dr. Mangala of the 21st century. Mangala's got nothing on Fauci. Yeah, he's he, Fauci's killed more people with his pen than uh, than just about anyone over the course of the last thirty five years. Forty, you got to go back all the way back to to AIDS. Yeah, so I mean, there, it's it's coming. You can see it's coming. It's a little bit of a slow process. Um, the information is slowly getting out into the mainstream media very slowly. Um, and I, I feel sorry for a lot of those people. All those all those anchors of Fox that were forced to get the COVID-19 vaccine, um, you know, John Roberts started to question it, and he was basically told, shut up. Tow the party line or you're out of here. Well, it turns out he started having heart problems after his vaccination. He wants to know if that's if that's strange and unusual or, or if other people have experienced that as well. That was a tweet I saw maybe six months ago. Yep. 
you know, um, mainstream media is trying to, to gaslight people saying, oh, myocarditis is just temporary. No, that's permanent damage to your heart. The probability that you will live a long and healthy life once having gotten myocarditis is zero. You know, so this it's it's eventually going to get out there and the people who all people who I call normies, people who are, you know, so enmeshed in the brainwashing and indoctrination that they, they can't see or won't see what's going on, they're going to be shocked and horrified. Let me let me ask you about this. I agree with you. Sure. This sort of leads into uh, an education discussion I wanted to have with you too. Again, a quick little story that that is certainly tied to this. Uh, a neighbor of mine came over and he said it was the same discussion as earlier, but he said that uh, he was playing basketball at the University Rec Center here at Miami University, and he said. His friend still goes to college here, and uh, he was in one of his classes, and the professor walked in on the first day, looked around, and said, these are all the students we have. We can't have this class with this few, many, with, with this few students in it, so the class has to be canceled. And they canceled the class completely. Wow. Said so the student walked into the, his next class, and he said there were only nine people in there. Where are the students? Exactly. So, you know, I, I, I typically do a, a couple of laps around the campus just in my car at the beginning of the year just to see what's going on during freshman move-in and then on the first day. And there, I mean, it's, it's noticeably absent of students. Um, it's not empty, but there's certainly fewer than, than what you would expect. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, about all of that, of course, at Marshall and, and what you're seeing, but I wanted you to go back, if you can, to the faculty retreat that you had, and were there any stories or revelations that came from that? Because I know that those department-level professional development meetings can uh, can be very revealing. I don't recall anyone talking about whether they got the vaccine or not, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that Close to 85% of the faculty in the College of Business got at least one. Um, I know for a fact in my own department that when the boosters rolled out, um, there was a, a general uh, status report. Everyone was saying how they got their third shot, their booster, and one faculty member sat, sat in the meeting and shook his head and said, no, I'm not getting any more. And, they, and the rest of the faculty were horrified. What? What? you got to get the booster. He goes, no. Why should I? The first two didn't work. The third one's not going to. Um, but I think he'd already been seeing things in his own church community that scared him. So I know for a fact he got two but did not get the third one. I also know for a fact that there have been um, a number of college deans that have stepped back due to health reasons. Well, the college deans were some of the first people to line up for the first, the second, and the booster. And um, and we now have, except for one dean, all of our college deans are interim because some have, have stepped back, some have retired. In our own faculty body at the College of Business, I heard tales of 
this professor or that professor being in ill health now when a year ago they were the epitome of health. Young people, I mean, you know, relatively young, people who are maybe in their late 50s being in ill health. Some, um, um, one, one particular professor has since taken a medical retirement. So, I mean, it's, it's, you can see it coming. Um, some of these people are, they're not in good health. So it's, it's sad. Um, I haven't talked about the vaccines being pushed onto the students during class and my classes tend to be full. Um, but I did notice that the, one of the star football players, a second year, a second year football player will be missing most of the season for reasons not given. Interesting. Yes. And we've already seen football players collapsing and dying. I mean, so this is about the time, right? Um, I, I sent an email, oh, some couple of weeks ago to the president of the university begging him to, to stop with the aggressive promotion of COVID-19 vaccinations. Please stop. It's, these vaccines are, are going to hurt people. And I got a typical boilerplate, don't you worry your pretty little head about this, we got this. <laughs> email back from him and I thought well you know what I've I've done just about everything I can do I've spoken up incessantly and relentlessly and I did speak with the provost at the faculty retreat who said I've been watching your email and I'm glad that you're still speaking up and I, I looked at him and I said I, I can't not speak up you know, you guys are you guys are driving this car off a cliff, and and there's going to be there's going to be people who are hurt and die from this. And I I can't sit by silently and say nothing. I have to say something so that at the end of my life, when I stand before God and He looks at me and says, "Well, what did you do to to try and save as many of my flock as you could?" I can at least say I spoke up. You know, I, I, I put the information out there. You did, and I hope you kept those emails. They might be needed in a court oh, of did. law. Yeah. Oh, I did. Absolutely. Well, no one told us. No one told us. We, <laughs> had, we had no idea. No and then there you are yeah, in the we, back holding up your emails. <laughs> gone. No, I did. I've been telling them since uh, July of 2021, this is a bad idea. Don't do this. Yeah. No one listened. Marshall's still requiring the jabs for students to attend, aren't they? Um, I don't think so. Really? Because, because yeah, because in the in the blast email blast that we got, I think it was from the PR department. At least that's what I was told. That um, while while vaccinations are not mandatory, we are going to aggressively promote the vaccinations. Okay, fine. So you're still pushing it, but you're not telling anybody what the side effects are. So I sent the I sent the Marshall president um, the March fifth, twenty twenty two. Was it March fifth, twenty twenty two? No, March fifth, twenty twenty one. 
um, missive from Pfizer wherein they list for nine pages all the side effects that, that they had seen in the first 90 days of pushing out the COVID-19 vaccinations. Yeah. 1,291 side effects. Yeah. The first so, five, and, the first five are all cognitive decline. <laughs> They're all cognitive decline disorders. I heard, I heard professors, older professors, they're just not all there. Is that a nice way of saying it? Sure. They're not, they're, yeah, cognitively impaired. Um, so, I mean, I've, my students, I, I pushed that missive out to my students as soon as I saw it in March in 2021. And um, we were still, we were still online and I pointed it out to students. I said, take a look at this. These are all the side effects of the vaccinations. You may want to consider uh, natural immunity, (laughs) (laughs) which at the time, remember the FDA and the CDC were saying, oh no, natural immunity, that doesn't even exist. It's a bunch of hogwash. You know, regarding the natural immunity discussion, and it's an interesting one, of course, because it's a real thing. I think that I'm starting to come to the conclusion, however, that the people who have been jabbed are clearly shedding on the people who have not been jabbed and even making, of course, the unjabbed ill. I mean, this has been going on since the beginning also. But it begs the question whether or not an unjabbed individual's immune system is actually learning that they've been shed on by a group of people. And then that way, if that person recovers and gets around other people who have also been jabbed, what's the likelihood of them getting sick again? See, I'm not sure. Yeah. That's a good question. I'm not sure that natural immunity works with these, with these, uh, with these jabs being around people. Proteins being shed all over them. Among other things. I mean, it's basically like radiation poisoning. It's very similar right. symptoms from what I'm hearing and, and what I'm reading. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, I well, just can't help but think of all the students in close quarters on a constant basis, whether they be right. jabbed or not. Right. Well, I know that um, a year ago when we went back face-to-face, um, I had I had two face-to-face classes the first day of class, and, and by mid-afternoon, my nose was bleeding. And so when I got home... Um, I, I take a daily amount of N-acetylcysteine. I, I, I doubled that and then took more when I got home because N-acetylcysteine is an antitoxin, so it, it cleans the blood. It cleans your body. Um, and so when I know I'm going to be around students, I, I bump up that N-acetylcysteine to twice or sometimes three times what I need to take for a couple of days just to just to get past it. I was just going to say, are nosebleeds Nose- a regular thing for you? No, no, and I and I think I heard from was it uh, Simone Gold or or Dr. Sherry Tenpenny that nosebleeds are an indication that you're being attacked by spike proteins. There you go. So I I paid attention and I jumped right on it, and the nosebleed stopped, and I. I kept a larger distance between myself and students. You know, I wasn't up in their face. I wasn't in their perimeter. 
you know, that six-foot distancing might actually work for keeping the spike proteins away. Yeah. But I, I, don't, I don't have possible. an answer. I, I, I think that what we're going to find out is that the people who have had the vaccines are, are going to be shedding spike proteins, but I don't know at what point their body stops shedding spike proteins. So the unjabbed people are definitely at risk if they're in close quarters. I, I think we, we, we haven't even seen the beginning of the end of this. We haven't even seen the end of the beginning. We're, we're still walking through it. And I, I think that as we go through time, we're going to find out that the people who got the, uh, the vaccines that had uh, graphene oxide and all those other things in it, the, the really deadly ones, if they didn't kill you at once, they're still floating around and now you are a danger to everyone around you. Yeah, I'm starting to think that less and less that there were actual placebos going around. I really, I really don't believe that. I think that the people who got it got the real deal, and uh, if they've had, if they had an adverse reaction, regardless of how mild the symptoms may have been when they first got it, then they got the real deal. And if they've gotten yeah. six cents, they got the real deal. So yeah. Well, I can tell you. I can tell you that my daughter and my son-in-law both got jabbed. My son-in-law developed aggressive cataracts. He's not even 50. Wow. He's not even 50. And um, my daughter, after both jabs and in the summer, was incredibly sick. I mean, just, just incredibly sick. Now, I knew what was going on, so the second time she got real sick for no reason, I, I, I took the liberty of sending her some N-acetylcysteine. I ordered it and had it sent to her, and I knew she would, I knew she would um, research it, and she did, and, and she started taking it, and she got better, I don't want to say almost immediately, but it, it helped quite a bit. So, I mean, the... I, I don't know how many people in the sample size of all of the vaccinated people, I don't know how many of those vaccinations were just saline, um, but I'm thinking that there had to be some that were just saline. Um, I think that um, what I read about the boosters was there was going to be no booster that was saline. So if you got a booster, you got, you got, the, you got the stuff. Yeah. I was going to say another word, but, you know, um, I think I read also that Canada's rolling out their fifth jab. Israel tried to roll out their sixth jab, and I think their population basically told them, no, we're not doing that. Yeah, it so took them six to I, figure it out. Well, you know, some people learn slowly. There you go. And of course, the flu shot rollout, which I've brought up on the show numerous times, that's going to be that's going to be another you know another domino to fall here because uh, there are lots of doctors that who again know full well what's going on. They're saying that the mRNA is going to be in the flu shots, and no one's yeah, going to well, know this except for the people who take it and find out the hard way. Right, right. Well, interesting little factoid during twenty twenty one. 
there were so many missed well baby appointments so that babies did not get their uh, additional vaccinations that the uh, SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, yeah, dropped dis- practically to zero. Disappeared. It disappeared. So if that doesn't tell you something, I mean, now we've got sudden adult death syndrome or died suddenly or died mysteriously. And, and I'm thinking somebody somewhere has to make the connection of these dots. You know, I mean, people can't be this stupid, are they? I'm afraid so. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> I'm, well, a, I'm afraid you know, so. Um, as one of my students in class yesterday said, Darwin wins again. <laughs> there you go. Yep. <laughs> you know, this is out of a 20-year-old, and I'm thinking, okay. So there are some students who are who are smarter than the average smarter than the average bear. Um, but again, I don't know how many of the students fell for this ploy. I know that when I was showing students in twenty in spring twenty twenty one, I was showing them this information that was coming out of Pfizer in March of twenty twenty one. I still had students from that class who got the jab. Wow. And and I found out I found out one did I I looked at him and I said, Why did you do this? You knew. You knew what was what what I told you in class. He goes, Yeah, I know, uh, but I didn't believe you. I didn't believe you. <laughs> and I looked at it's him incredible. and I said I showed you the paperwork from Pfizer. I show I brought up the nine pages of side effects. How he goes, Yeah, he goes, Yeah, I just I just didn't believe you. Oh, okay. Well, all right. I, I just didn't even have, I didn't even have a snappy answer for that one. I, w- I was astounded. And and he said, are these vaccinations really as, as bad as you're now telling me they are? And I said, if I show you the data, will you still not believe me? He goes, no, I think I'll believe you this time. He says, but it's making me think I don't want to take a booster. And I said, well, you know what, do whatever you want. I'll send you the information. You make your own choice. <laughs> Incredible. I did, I didn't believe you. Well, that was that was a little more forthcoming than my own sister who said you're crazy. There you go. You know, so why why would the why would the why would Pfizer and AstraZeneca and Moderna poison us? Well, gee, I don't know. They're changing over your immune system to a monthly subscription base. You know, if you want to keep living, you'll get another jab. So. Anyway, I'm, I'm being cynical only because if I don't, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go crawl into a hole and cry myself to sleep. Well, I'll tell you what, I got a quick story for you. If, uh, if you're interested in this is a story that even my, uh, my audience hasn't heard and it, it certainly is family related. If, uh, if you got the, if you got the time, I have time. Okay. Um, I'm not going to give you the full background on all the warnings that I provided, but my older brother, my older brother and his wife are both double jabbed. These individuals are about as dead asleep as you could possibly imagine on every issue. They should know better, of course, but yeah, they were they were warned by me a long time ago. 
um, let's see. Long story short, this past summer, and they have two children, by the way, who have uh, my, my parents intervened with my brother to not get their children jabbed. And the way that my brother and his wife operate, being dead asleep and not being forthright is a polite way of putting it, that they will consistently say, well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And so they say that regarding everything, and then they end up doing it because they're remarkably impulsive people. Again, they have no inner monologue. They don't think and they don't ask themselves questions and then arrive at the actual answer because that requires work. And, uh, you know, it requires them suspending their belief to actually find the truth. So fortunately, they have not jabbed their children, which is a life-saving decision for their children. However, this past summer, not that long ago, just a few weeks, uh, both my brother, his wife, and their entire family, both children, became remarkably ill. They, of course, think it's COVID. Um, my sister-in-law thinks that she caught it at some business work thing. She wasn't wearing a mask, and that's why she got sick. Something along those lines. They, of course, don't have COVID because COVID's not a thing. They have AIDS. So they have a compromised immune system, and uh, they both claimed, of course, that it was the worst that they've ever felt. Man, this COVID stuff's bad. <laughs> uh, I'm hearing all of this, of course, through my mother, because they don't talk to me about any of this, because I'm an idiot. So, <laughs> so they, uh, so now, based on a previous vacation that they were going to take because of my sister-in-law's work that she was awarded that was originally designed to go to Ireland, I want to say back in 2020, at which point I vocalized, you're not going to Ireland. That's not going to happen. Because again, they don't know what's going on geopolitically. They didn't know what was going on with the traveling restrictions. They had no idea. This trip has now been redesigned to send them throughout Europe, and they're doing it. And so here's their travel, and I'll let you and the audience figure out what you think is going to happen as a result of all of this. They're going to fly from Columbus, Ohio to Toronto, Canada. And if anybody out there, including you, Robin, are unfamiliar with their... Um, Toronto or, or, or Canada's uh, flight restrictions and travel plans for foreign travelers, uh, my understanding is it's pretty insane. You, you know, you're forced to test, you're forced to do a number of things, download an app, uh, and if you test positive, well, you can't go anywhere. You have to quarantine for at least 10 days or else you pay five, a $5,000 fine for each individual person. They're then going to travel, so they think, from Toronto, Canada to uh, Paris, France. And then they're going to travel from Paris, France on a train through the Alps to Venice, Italy. And then they're going to stay there, and then they're going to fly from Venice, Italy back to New York. 
and then New York back to Columbus, Ohio. So that's going well, on. I, I hope they enjoy their quarantine time in Toronto. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what they're going to get that's exact, that. Oh my god. That's exactly what I told my parents and my parents I, were like, "Look, they're going to have to figure out the hard way." <laughs> they're just going to have to figure it out the hard way because they have no they're, they're not going to listen to us and they have no idea right. what's going on. Right. Well, I'm sorry for them. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry for their kids. Yeah. Because their kids have no idea what's going on because they're children and their parents aren't smart enough or awake enough to explain it to them. And uh, we sit here as exterior family members having to watch all of this take place, just like you with your family. And it's, uh, yeah. it's tough. Excruciating. It's excruciatingly painful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, well, I, I hope they have a nice relaxing vacation. I hope they enjoy wherever it is that they do end up getting to travel to. And they're going without their um, children. I forgot to mention that part. Oh, well, thank God. The kids are staying with grandma and grandpa. They are. Oh, yeah. Well, well, this will, this will be, this will be one of those teachable moments. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I, I believe Grandma is traveling to their house and staying at their house with their children while the two of them decide to take an international trip. So again... God bless your mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, from a, from a parental standpoint, um, in my eyes, it couldn't look more negligent. But that's just me. Right. Well... Maybe somebody will recommend to your sister and brother-in-law that they get their affairs in order before they leave, just in case they never get back. Because remember... Brother and sister-in-law, uh, but yeah. Oh, okay. The family members. But remember, the, um, the number of pilots that have been forced to take, been forced to stop flying or died is... Um, I think that the number is something like 1,200% higher. The, the number of pilots who died in 2021 was 1,200% higher than in 2020 or 2019. And the number of pilots who have been forced to retire um, is, is putting a strain on the airline industry. And, and um, you know, that... Atmospheric pressure does weird things to your blood vessels. Yeah, and uh, you know that's that's interesting too because my brother still isn't making the connections necessarily. At least not he's not going two dimensions deep on this. But my mom said to him, you know, don't forget your compression socks and wear your compression socks because people's legs will swell on high altitude flights for extended periods of time. And he goes, oh yeah, thanks. Thanks for reminding me, uh, you know, I have some from a previous procedure that he had a long time ago. And then, uh, and you know, his, his wife needs to get some too. But my mom's, my mom's saying in her head, no, that's, you know, that's a reason, but that's not the real reason, you know? Right. And, and then of course, don't forget to take an aspirin and this, that, and the other, because yeah, blood clotting. Yeah, make your 
Well, uh, like I said, I, I hope they have a relaxing vacation, and I hope they get to do all the things that they think they're going to do without incident. Um, I certainly, certainly don't wish ill on anyone. Um, I think, like I said, I think there will be enough lessons after these next couple of years to go around that will last our humanity for many lifetimes. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how asleep people can be. And even, even when you say to them, don't you think that your vaccination caused this? Oh, no, no, no. I mean, that was what my daughter said. Oh, no, no, no. It would have been worse without it. I said, you don't know that. You don't have that data. Because you took the vaccine, you don't know what it would have been without it. And she had to concede that, well, yeah, that did make sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think I've said before that what I'm striving for now is just to be at peace with their poor decisions and to just to love them for however long they're here. And I hope they're here for a long time. Um, but I also won't be terribly surprised when some of them kick off early or, or earlier than they would have had they just stayed unjabbed. I mean, the piece that, the piece that really tears at my heartstrings is watching these people give their children the vaccine. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, dear, dear God in heaven, save the children. And I can say this because my own grandson was jabbed. So, you know, like I said, there's no family in America that won't be touched by this in some way. It'll be much like the Civil War in the 1860s. There was no family that wasn't touched somehow in some way by, by the fighting and the death that went on. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's sad, but I think I've said before, gird your loins because it's coming. And um, the actuaries are seeing it come. There will be consequences for everyone. You know, there the airlines. Consequences all across the board. Yep. The airlines are even seeing an interesting thing, and I believe I brought this up on the show a while back, but they're experiencing more ill people on their planes than they've ever experienced ever as an industry. And where, uh, where did I read this? It could have been greatawakening.win, but someone was describing how the ambulances that are showing up when a plane lands are occurring at a rate that they've never seen before. So the pilots, when they have an ill person on their plane, they always have to call ahead to where they're landing and say, have medical, you know, a medical, uh, necessary medical devices. And of course, the care that they need right there, in particular, of course, an ambulance, fire truck, whatever it is. And uh, yeah, that pilots are having to make those phone calls with regularity now. Wow. And again, I, when it comes to flight shortages, I saw that Heathrow was, was canceling 10,000 flights on a regular basis because of staff shortages. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, this is, this is a, a rolling disaster. Yeah. Um, so, and when we're not, we're not even halfway through it because, you know, this is going to roll out, this is going to roll out for years. 
Um, I think that coming up in this winter, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to keep an eyeball on, at least in my local area, students who get sick and faculty who get sick. Um, so I don't know. Take your take your vitamin C and your vitamin D and get some quercetin and follow the Delinco protocols and get some ivermectin if you can and. I'm thinking horse pace might actually be a good idea. Um, you know, I'll grab some N-acetylcysteine and, you know, take take care of yourself because obviously some of these people haven't listened and they're now a danger, not, not just to themselves, but everyone around them. So I'm a little curious how this winter is going to roll out, at least in my local area. Um, I've noticed that there are an awful lot of died suddenlies with no explanation, yeah. and I'm, I keep wondering why the coroners don't start pulling some of these nasty-looking, they're not blood clots, these growths out of people's veins and arteries. You know, why, why, isn't, the, why isn't the coronary industry speaking up? Um, I was watching a, a video with John O'Looney, who's over at Milton Keynes in Britain. He's uh, the local mortuary coroner over there and he's been doing autopsies on people he's been collecting these growths that have been in people's veins that they have to pull them out of the veins so they can actually run the embalming fluids through the body and um and they're gross um Aluni was saying and this this thing was back i guess in march Aluni was saying in march that they the uh, hospitals in britain are not even sending the babies who die to the mortuary. They're just cremating their six and eight at a, at a SWAT, all at, all in the crematory there at the hospital. So people don't understand how this is carving out. It, it's carving out a huge hole in the generation that's the youngest. You know, if, if I'm looking at these actuarial figures properly, this, this, vaccine is carving out our labor force yeah so again where i live i mean yeah where, where i live all the uh police officers were told to take it and all of the city workers were told to take it oh man and it's get it's starting to get a little cool outside if you know what i mean yeah yeah well once again like i said um According to Marshall's dashboard, at least 80% of the faculty are vaccinated. But I think what they mean is fully vaccinated, which means they've had booster number four at this point. So, you know, at, at, I, I don't, I, I'm dreading this winter to see what's going to roll out in the community. Um, I'm hoping for the best, you know, that that most of these people just got saline. But like I said, I read that the boosters are all going to be full strength, which means it's got the crap in it. Well, I'll tell you what, I wanted to, if, if there's anything else you'd like to add, please do. But I do want to mention just this one last thing. Yesterday, there was a, and this is on a good note, positive note here. Uh, yesterday, there was a, a medical presentation by a bunch of doctors, many of which were based in South Africa and then other countries in Europe. And it was about three hours long. 
Um, it was over Zoom initially, and I was listening to it on Zoom at the beginning, and then they said that it was live streaming on YouTube, and I thought, well, that's cool. So I just dropped the Zoom call, and then I went over to YouTube, and I just listened to it on YouTube as I was doing other things throughout the day. And um, it was remarkably informative, I thought, and very helpful. Um, again, a lot of some of them are, are use the word virologists, so they sort of believe things that aren't real because viruses aren't a real thing. But uh, they were they were bringing up a lot of homeopathic and natural ways to uninflame the human body, and the entire presentation had to do with individuals who have already taken the shots and what those people should be doing. And the one thing that I had heard in this presentation, which I did not hear and have not heard anywhere, and it has to do with nebulizing ionic silver, that mixing ionic silver with distilled water and then using a nebulizer and breathing that in has the ability to block the messenger RNA from activating spike proteins. Oh, wow. So this was based cool. on just, uh, yeah, this is based just on this one particular doctor's data and what they've seen work. And then, of course, a lot of it also with these other presentations, they tell some pretty remarkable stories regarding individuals who have uh, recovered from a number of different things by using ivermectin and even for purposes that, uh, you know, that people wouldn't think would work based on their ivermectin use. But uh they brought that up, and then, again, a lot of it had to do with diet. Diet and exercise, um, you know, like like you and I have said a number of times, vitamin C, D3, zinc, the whole thing. So what I'll do is, is I'll link that YouTube video. Again, it's approximately three hours long. And the woman who talks about ionic silver, she's toward the end of the entire three hours. But I'll link that in the description below of this episode, and I'll email you that if you're interested in checking it out. Very cool. Yes, I'd be I'd be very interested in looking at it, and, and uh, I, I may even post it for my own students so they can inform themselves. That's a that's a good idea. Thank you for that. Absolutely. I think the I think the only thing that I want to leave your audience with is for them to please realize that that our supply chains are so fragile. They've always been fragile, but now we're going to actually see them be fragile. And that your audience needs to prepare for, oh, I don't know, can I call it disaster and be flippant about it? They really need to have, they need to have that attitude that our great-grandparents did, which is you stock up in the, in the summer because you don't know what's going to be short or in short supply during the winter. So if your audience will please um, do what they can to stock up on their foods and necessities, just in case, maybe nothing will happen. And then, you know, you'll have some extra. Um, but it, but if these supply lines begin to shut down and clamp close, then it, it would be nice. It would be an ease of mind to just have some extra stored away so that it's there if you need it. And I would say, if someone were to ask me, I would say, Pick up some cheap silver. Um, you know, go to my my students like JM Bullion. Go to JM Bullion, but there are lots of other gold and silver um, sellers out there. And 
buy some junk silver, buy some silver silver. Um, for me, gold is too expensive. But, um, you know, if you if you have to barter and trade, sometimes, uh, sometimes a piece of silver will help you out. So, and I, I would also say, uh, make friends with all your neighbors, because you never know when you can be of service to them or they can be of service to you. Because really, um, I, I kind of hate the, the phrase, we're all in this together, but we really are all in this together. Thanks for sharing your audience with me again. I really appreciate it. I wish I had more uplifting news, but perhaps perhaps it's sufficient to say that um, even though I see disaster coming at us and I hope that I'm wrong, um, there are things that we can do to prepare that will leave us less devastated than if we did not prepare. So, like I said, I'm sort of taking on my great-grandmother's attitude. Just be prepared for anything, and you'll be fine. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care, and God bless.